Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. Good day, everybody. Steve Waters and Victor Kumar from Right Property Group back again for another film version of Investing Insights. And it's been a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's literally been, since yeah. we've done this. A couple of Facebook Live events as mm-hmm. well uh, and another podcast. And it's been a busy fortnight. So many things have changed once again, but they've also perpetuated. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that uh, in the minute. But let's start off with today's subject because I think it's a really apt one, not just because it's this time of the market, because it should always be at the forefront of our mind, but more so because people, I think, are going to tend to forget about it. And that is finding that balance between growth and cash flow. What's that inflection point where everything is balanced? We're not concentrating too m- on one aspect too much more so than the other. Mm-hmm. Because whilst in principle it sounds like a good thing to do or a w- rewarding thing to do, somewhere in the future you'll be caught. So yeah. Yeah. Balance between growth and cash flow. Yeah, and so we're not we're not talking about just the one property. You're talking about the entire portfolio and uh, taking into account today's market. It could be potentially the entire portfolio, mm-hmm. or maybe one property because some people only want. One. That's right. Um, and we'll be pretty general in the way that we look at it. But essentially, we're just after balance mm-hmm. for today's market, but more importantly for the future, which gives yep. us that sustainability. But we'll get to that in a minute. Vic, what's what's been happening? Let's have a market update. Yeah, we haven't done that for a little while, it's have been we? A while. Yeah, it's, it's a bit uh, of a while, and um, uh, and know. it's a different market than it's it was. Different market altogether. This time last year. Yeah, you know, this time last year we were talking about you know how far the market's going to go down, um, and that's that's what most of the economists were yeah, saying. We weren't. We weren't. No. Yeah, um, uh, and uh, it was all doom and gloom, and and slowly but surely the rhetoric started to change, and until suddenly all of a sudden the switch was flicked, and um, Instead of going, you know, it's going to drop by 40%, 30%, and it climbed back up to say, you know, actually, we might get some growth. And then it became, actually, it'll be 5%. Oh, no, 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 it's 10%. And now everyone's saying, no, it's going to be double-digit growth this mm. year. Right? I've heard up to 20 and 30. Yes. Which yeah. I don't buy into mm-hmm. because if it happens, it's yeah. a bonus. That's but you know, what I'd, you know what I'd really like? And if any of the listeners out there have this stat or this data point or have the capacity uh, to create it for us, I would love to know from... February last year through to, let's call it September last year, mm. how many negative pieces of media content there were yep. versus positive? Mm-hmm. And then what is it today? So let's call it from September last year or October last mm. year through to today, mm. how many negative versus how many positive? And there'd be a 180 degree. Yeah. And it's difference. all driven by media, right? One, one person makes a comment and uh, they, they are interpreting a data set on its own right then and there. And so, okay, this is what it's telling me, right? So, and everyone picks up on that. And an interesting exercise would be, Steve, is to go back in history, right? And look at every time there's been negative sentiment in the media, did it pan out as per prediction? Yeah. Right? And every time there's been a positive sentiment in in media, has it panned out that way? There'd probably be some instances where some of it was remotely correct. And mm-hmm. I cast my mind back to say when APRA pulled the handbrake. Yes. Because the-, yeah. the That was predictable. Credit, yeah, that yeah. was that was a pretty obvious scenario. Mm. But in this instance around COVID, I think it was more reactionary opinion mm-hmm. versus well thought out knowledge or yep. opinions uh, as such, because there was nothing really in there other than the obvious, which mm. was going to change dynamically. Yep 
the trajectory of the market or where the market was at that point mm-hmm. in time. The steepness um, is a little bit amplified, to be fair. Mm. Uh, but it's you could essentially call it, at the moment, a two-tier market, you mm. know, attached and not attached, yep. or, or houses. Mm-hmm. And clearly those inner city areas are struggling, and they will continue to do so. But for, but for me, that's what the media were... And latching onto. Were latching yeah. onto, and then generalising, well, that's going to have an mm-hmm. effect over the whole market, what we're seeing on those inner yep. city areas. Yeah, in fact, um, uh, I read an article this morning where uh, they were saying that you know it, it's been the um, fastest... Um, and, and the um, quickest um, period that people can uh, get their deposit together. So this is talking about first-time <coughs> buyers. Yeah. And they're giving um, uh, examples of, say, Sydney prices dropping by twenty-one dollars to $29,000, right? Show me that. Yeah. Show me that. Yeah, I'll, whoever that person is, yeah. do you want a job? Yeah. Go, go find, <laughs> find those properties for me. Yeah. See, as, as Australians, right? This is where this is where our love for property, right? And, and and this was being thrown around flippantly way before, right? But true to form, this is this is a product of our resilience and our love for property in inverted commas, because mm. we are all working towards um, uh, some level of betterment of our lives now. Whether it is um, you're taking an approach of tax minimization, which our our um, stance on that is pretty obvious, uh, or whether it is actually wealth creation uh, as such. Yeah, uh, given that finance is so cheap, money so cheap, finance is relatively easy to get in comparison to 2019, and the fact that we are saving a lot of money because we can't go abroad for our holidays and all that sort of stuff, the natural thing is to either put it in shares or property. And generally, with the tangibility and, and the market hype that's that's building up, uh, good and bad, uh, people are jumping in left, right, and centre. And that that's one of the reasons why we thought we'd talk about growth and cash flow and making sure that there's a balance there. Yeah, because as I said earlier on in the introduction, that people are going to very quickly forget about either component. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'll be those that are in the camp of wanting to chase cash flow. Yeah, and and make money while I can in terms of that position because the rates are so low mm-hmm. and there might be a high uh, net yield or, or gross yield and, you know, that gap. But there'll be the other camp as well that'll be saying the cost of money is cheap, my cash flow position is doable, mm. I want to ride the growth gravy chain mm-hmm. uh, as, as it will be. Uh, but somewhere in the middle is that is that optimum position to yep to exploit, and I say exploit quite deliberately because it's what you do now to set yourself up for year two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. 15, rather than the now. Yeah. And to be fair though, we, you know, if we, we get amplified growth well and truly above averages in certain areas, we'll take that, but it's not, we don't rely upon it. Mm-hmm. We, we know it's not consistent and average growth periods are average growth periods for a Yeah, so a no, no speculation. Well, no, no speculation, but no speculation around your own position. Yes. Now, and there's a big difference between speculating around your own position versus being tactically aggressive. Mm-hmm. Big difference to take a moment in time. Yep. Yep. Because th- this is uh, like uh, this could set you up for generational wealth if you play it right, uh, because the markets are all lining up as such. But this is also the position where a lot of people can get financially hurt if they don't have a planned approach and they don't look at the worst case scenario first and then jump in feet first. 
uh, because you know the media is saying or, or someone in your circle of friends has bought in an area and done really well. Um, it needs to come back, like we say in every podcast, it needs to come back to your own financial fingerprint and make sure that you uh, address that first before you look at even you know buying anywhere or even start looking at areas. So before we get to that, let's do a market update sure. on what we're seeing at the moment. And I'll kick it off. I'll kick it off with, I'll take half the country, you can take the other half. How's that? <laughs> Divide and conquer? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll start off with uh, where we are today, which is Sydney. Mm-hmm. And the market turnaround in, in terms of consumer sentiment has, oh, I'm not going to say it's been immediate because it was already there, you go back to July, June mm. last year, it was already starting to turn there in terms of that confidence, Pete. And we, we often talked about uh, high search intent data points and it was massive back then. It was bigger than it was 12 months before yep. the crisis. Uh, and people have done very well between now and then. And some of the areas that have done well within the Sydney corridors is around those existing houses with a piece of land attached. Mm-hmm. So I'm not talking about house and land package. I'm talking about existing property with a land attached components. Um, Central coast, south coast, those commutable distances have done extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, probably more so than any other corridor on a pound for pound or yep. percentage base um, scenario. But the data won't reveal that yet. Mm. It'll be another couple of months before you start to see those data sets come through. And Sydney continues to move forward. Um, The buyer's agents were coming back to me on Monday morning, giving us the intel from the weekend and properties that had price brackets of, one in particular, uh, had a price bracket of between 640 to 660 and it went for 740. Mm On the day, 75 people through the open home, multiple Bids, I'll call them bids because it was almost like it was almost like a Dutch auction, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, and the agent was in their prime. Mm. You know, this is what they live for. They love yeah. this. This is their sp- sport. Mm. Dare I say it? It's been quite a while coming for them. Yeah. But that's that's a, an image, if you will, of the entire corridor. That's right. And and one of the things that we see historically um, around this time and this phase of the market is there's a lot of new agencies that start up as well. Because um, a lot of people that have been sitting on the sideline, they say, "Okay, I can I can hang my shingle and start a business because it's easy to easy to get to sale because there's a lot of buyers, but they have to get the right listing to begin with. They have to, and you know, listers are winners mm-hmm. in their world because you can't sell what you don't have. Yep. And we can't buy what doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to the point of the Sydney Greater Basin area, and I think I might have mentioned it last podcast or, or somewhere that it's as skinny a market that I've ever seen. Now, I noticed there were some media points out there. Someone took exception to that and said, like uh, one of the, the uh, property reporters said, yeah, but the data shows that it's we're in a really strong listing period. There's a lot of property for sale that's just transacting mm-hmm. quicker. And they're, they're kind of right, but kind of wrong. And I'll, and I'll give you an example of it, one particular area where usually there'd be six to seven pages of property for sale. That same suburb today has seven properties only, mm. not seven pages, seven properties only of which four are under contract and the other three, sorry, and two of the other three are bait advertising. They sold some time ago and there was one genuine yep. for sale. Now that's a very skinny market. That's an illiquid market on the buyer's side, mm-hmm. but it's an extremely liquid market on the seller's side, which is something that we've always talked about as one of those points of mitigation is mm-hmm. You identify the liquid markets, yep. not the liquid from a selling point of view, mm-hmm. as mi- risk mitigation. So that's Sydney, very, very buoyant, all the way down, 
all the way down to the coast and all the way up the coast. And I won't really touch on the regional areas because you know, they're a different beast again and you know, they're all perpetuating mm-hmm. um, because of what's going on. Into um, – I'll do Brizzy. Mm-hmm. You can do Melbourne. So Brisbane, north, south, east and west. Is, is, it's just crazy there yep. as well. Well-located properties with good dynamics around them are doing very, very well. The rental market is running away mm. as well. So we've seen yeah. very, very big growth on and, that. And one of the things that we're finding is that some property managers aren't keeping up to speed with how the rental market is shifting. Uh, and so the advice that you get from the property managers, you need to question, jump on online and see what, what properties, comparable properties are renting for if you're looking at renewing your leases. It's a good point, but be very careful. Go a little deeper than that, in my opinion, anyways, because often a lot of properties are listed for, for rent that either aren't for rent or mm-hmm. they're, they're being listed pre-vacancy. Yep. So a tenant might have given a month's notice or whatever it may be. So ring up the agents in the area and then collectively find out how many properties they manage and then how many are legitimately mm. vacant. And it could be a different story. Like That's physically vacant. Physically vacant, yep. because that might that, that will give you an up-to-date picture of where the market mm. sits at that point in time. But a lot of those Brisbane corridors are sitting uh, maybe 1%, yep. but some are below, uh, which is an extremely tight market. And, and bear in mind that when people talk about vacancy rates, 3% is that point of equilibrium is mm. the general rule. So there's enough supply for enough demand. You get to a 2% market, vacancy rate, it's a very, very tight market. You get to 1% and it's just incredibly yep. tight where tenants start to pay more than the asking price. Mm-hmm. To and, get the property. And prepay in advance yeah. just to have that point of difference to secure the, mm. the, the roof over the head. Yeah. So how about Melbourne? What's Melbourne doing? Well, Melbourne, um, uh, it's, it's slightly out of step from the other states because of its rolling lockdowns it had, right? So it, it's got a little bit of a gap that needs to uh, they needs to catch up to. However, it's got the same problem that any every other state is that there there are just aren't enough listings on the market, right? Uh, both regional and metropolitan areas are doing phenomenally well. I'm talking about the detached housing, of course. Um, true to form, uh, the um, inner city area is suffering a bit, both from the rental point of view. I think that that's all states. Uh, and uh, also from a sale point of view, because people are now saying, okay, I can go a little bit further out and get a house, or I can get get something with a little bit of land on it. Um, so that that's the market itself. Uh, it's it's um, been buoyed up by the stamp duty concession that they've got. So if you are buying an established property below a million dollars, you know, get twenty five percent off stamp duty, uh, and um, if it's a brand new, then you get fifty percent off, regardless of whether you're an investor or a homeowner. Um, so certainly that's helping people get into the market. Um, the reality is that it's like any other market um, in terms of supply and demand. There just aren't enough you know, good investment properties around. Investment grade, mm-hmm. not yep. investment stock, which is a big difference, uh, as we've pointed out before. And I would, the whole East Coast is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. So if we even go into the ACT, whether we go into South Australia, uh, that's the picture yep. of, of the market is there's just a lack of stock on the market. Mm-hmm. However, there's also an enormous amount, amount of potential purchases mm. in the market as well. Like if we go back to that media narrative earlier on in our conversation, how it's switched very, very quickly, it's getting to a point, whether you believe it or not, it'll, be, it'll become self-fulfilling. Yes. It and usually does, doesn't it? Well, it does. Yeah. If, you get, if the weight of opinion is one direction or another, mm-hmm. it has that tendency to be self-fulfilling, as we just mentioned. But Melbourne is no different, or Victoria is no different. Mm. Some of the regional areas, 
um, versus all the way through to those corridors in and around uh, the CBD. And I agree. I think it'll be some time yet that those units mm. um, start to recover. Yep. Uh, and but having said that, I, someone asked us the other day, "Do we still buy units?" And, and the short answer is, it depends. Mm. And it depends. Needs to make sense in the portfolio. Needs to make sense Correct. as a as a investment purchase to begin with. Yeah, and even more so if I have the choice, I'll if I can buy the entire block. Yeah. So I control everything mm. from the potential strata to all premises to the entire land content. That's when it becomes very very attractive. And the problem with buying blocks of units in today's market, no matter where it is, is you're up against the listed and unlisted yep. funds. You yep. have much deeper pockets. Usually mm. there's a really sweet spot in blocks of units between it's if you can get somewhere in the vicinity of still in the resi space, four to six mm-hmm. pack if yep. as such. It's that's, that's the closest you'll get to a six pack anyway, isn't it? <laughs> 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 it's um wrong part podcast. <laughs> it um it's somewhere between a four and a six pack it's almost too big for the little person and yep. too small for the bigger mm. player. So there's a, there is a sweet spot mm. there that if you time it perfectly and you are in that resi space in terms of lending, it can be quite it lucrative does make sense, for the future. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what about uh, South Australia? Look, South Australia is, is, a, is a, it's like almost the tank engine. You know, it can, it just keeps chugging along. It keeps chugging along. Even during the GFC, it went upwards. Um, certainly, there is a lot of um, momentum in the market there, uh, but it always has been. Uh, however, the growth trajectory when you compare it to your larger states population-wise is is a lot shallower, uh, and um, we need to be really mindful of what we buy there. But the uh, the unit market, again, there uh, in a city is suffering, uh, as, as per every state. Housing market is pretty buoyant, pretty strong. Um, we're finally starting to see movement in some of the traditionally oversupplied, uh, low-growth areas. Um, uh, you know, like Christie's Beach is an example. Definitely uh, movement there. Um, and uh, I think, from a from a um, purchasing point of view, you'd do well if you buy there. Um, finding the right investment again is a challenge. Yeah, and that's a good point because we also need to be very clear, or sorry, very wary. More so is. Those, some of those areas, not just South Australia, but throughout the whole of the country, seem attractive now. Mm. And they are attractive now and they are producing now. But it's if we go back historically, they do have those moments in time where yep. they do, but then there's a period of nothingness. Then they sleep. Yeah. yeah, They go to sleep mm. for some time. And whether that be from a cash flow component or growth or a combination mm-hmm. of both. So depending on the risk profile or your risk appetite and the type of investor that you are will determine whether you go into those areas. Yeah, absolutely. Or not. So let's talk about uh, WA, mm-hmm. Perth. And it's it's had a massive turnaround. Yeah. And, we, and we mentioned this last year. Uh, In fact, just before lockdown when we did that um, uh, Facebook Live from the car, if you recall. Um, on the way to the airport. The, 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 the last airport, plane yeah. out yeah, of Perth. That's right, yeah. yeah. yeah we, we predicted that there'll be a fairly hu- fairly strong upswing uh, mm. in Perth. And it's, it's you're starting to see the data track upwards mm-hmm. so we already know that their vacancy rates are very very low there's a um, there's a few other little bit of um, pieces of information people need to understand about Perth and the rentals with the monitorium up until March mm-hmm. and, you know, whether that stops then or not yep. um, which we'll go into a bit later but the growth has started to happen especially for the well located areas 
um, you know, say maybe to the north and south, mm. have done very well. So the areas that are, in my opinion anyway, more owner-occupied mm. than investor-driven. Yep. Because those investor-driven areas, people are in and out, in and out. It's a transient market. That's true. So to speak, from my point of view in terms of its value proposition, but those owner-occupied areas where it's circa 60 to 70 to 80% of mm -hmm. owner-occupiers versus tenants have got very, very strong demand. Like very small days on market. Yeah. Really small days on market. Yeah. You've got newspaper articles there uh, stating that, you know, strongest uh, recovering market in Australia. Um, we're starting off a low base. It's easy to Doesn't, that. Yeah, you don't need a lot of change to, yes. to change the stats. But it's also got one of the best um, construction grants, yes. government grants. Mm. It's, it's very, very attractive. And so some of that data is being skewed mm -hmm. by those new house and land packages Correct. that are being built. Um, and so once again, ground truth. Yeah. So, you know, just just uh, for relevance, like even with, with myself, with my portfolio there, because of those grants, I've actually brought forward my construction to take advantage of that. So there's a lot of people that have done that. So that's created that spike in data. Uh, then we've also got um, obviously the fly-in, fly-outs that are choosing to rent locally rather than come out of state because when they go back in, they got a quarantine. Um, well, they have no job to go back to because yeah, they're not allowed back. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, you need to take those into account as well before you look at saying that you know this is this is a market that's absolutely taking off. Um, no doubt, it is moving. No doubt it is moving. Um, and, and this is where also where you need to focus on the right types of properties, like you said, the largely owner-occupier areas and not their traditional investor-driven areas uh, is, is where you'd look at because when the fly-in, fly-out start getting out, okay, there's a natural reduction in the demand. Uh, also, it's really nice and rosy right now, but like you said earlier, we need to look at what the normal reset is in these areas. Like th this is not just Perth. This is every area looking at. You need to look at it from a historical point of view, not in isolation with COVID and the cheap money that we've got and the fact that we've, we're saving a lot of money right now, so therefore we're pouring it into investments and, and real estate purchases. So uh, take all of that away. What's the, what's the um, trajectory in that area? What's the liquidity in that area? Because as we are getting into property, we also need to be looking at how do we get out of this transaction if we have to. Which comes back to that commentary earlier on about mm -hmm. a liquid market from yes. either side, buyer or seller. Um, I think they're probably the main markets. Mm -hmm. We could probably spend another four hours talking about those smaller areas uh, and different states, but we won't. Let's get to the subject, which is that balance between, the holy grail of balance between cash flow mm -hmm and growth yeah and the first thing i want to say or talk about in terms of that is that it's an absolute necessity whether you think so or not mm. it will change as time goes on so if you're a little younger and got no real responsibility other than yourself in life well then your risk appetite therefore your cash flow position may be a little bit different from when you're married with kids or maybe even towards the end of mm -hmm. that journey the transitional stage into retirement where maybe cash is more is more yeah, yeah. Uh, or maybe growth as well mm -hmm. but depending on the person so it's absolutely imperative that you go into you you create a portfolio with your eyes wide open mm. it's not about the best case scenarios it's about what is the norm and what is the worst case scenario because everything above that is is a bonus yeah and it's the wealth position so the difference between 
Before we go into it a little further, let's talk about the difference between cash flow and growth. So there's this, the the narrative around either, there's two types of investors. There's your cash flow investor or there's your growth mm-hmm. investor. And typically the cash flow investor is chasing the positive cash flow properties, um, which the rule of thumb is the growth may not be as important. Well, as, as strong. Mm. Yeah. And because usually that's a regional area, that's not a, a city metro area, the majority of the population doesn't live there, the majority of the jobs creation isn't there, and so it's a risk-reward mm-hmm. scenario. And then there's the growth investor who's, don't worry about the cash flow, focus purely on growth mm-hmm. within your means um, because growth is where the wealth component is. Yep. And they're traditionally a higher-priced asset or ticket um, with a lower yield. Mm-hmm. But the general uh, narrative... I was going to say rule of thumb, but I won't because I don't buy into it. The general narrative is that they'll grow faster as a percentage mm-hmm. more so than areas that are 20, 30, 40 kilometres outside of the CBD. Yep. And in a nutshell, they're your two types of investors, cash flow mm-hmm. or growth. Yep. Whereas yep. we think you actually need both. We do. And you can have both. It's just the way that you approach it. Exactly. And and so this is addressing both sides of the equation, right? So when most people get started or looking to get started with investing, they are strongly focused on one camp, whether it's, it's capital growth. So I want, you know, good growth. I, um, you know, I want to buy as close to the city. Or I want to buy in Sydney. I want to buy in Melbourne uh, because that's got really, really huge growth because that's what it's done historically. Um, but they're looking at it from an anecdotal point of view. They're looking at what the books are saying and not relating it back to their own personal circumstances. So as an example, if you've only got say, you know, $80,000 and your borrowing capacity is say 350, that largely rules you out of Sydney, right? In most mm. cases, uh, unless you went regional or unless you went units uh, as an example, right? So um, obviously that determines where, where you need to land. The other other side of the equation is cash flow. A lot of people start uh, with, um, you know, I, I, I want I, my portfolio to be positive cash flow from day one. Uh, and that even though they may be earning good money, uh, one of the things we um, uh, advocate and the, one of the first questions we ask um, when you, when you uh, contact us to start your investment journey is to ask how much per week can you put aside towards your portfolio? The shortfall. Yeah, the shortfall. Because that'll then help determine and shape your portfolio, where you buy, where, where, you know, where you get started. Um, because there, there are three things that drive it. One is your shortfall capacity. The second is the amount of capital that you've got. And the third, of course, is your borrowing capacity, right? If, if you've got, you know, two, three hundred thousand sitting there in cash, but all you can borrow is a hundred thousand. It's irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's a really important point because Cash flow and capital are your two finite resources. Mm-hmm. They only go so far, so yep. you need to look after both of them. And in terms of the borrowing capacity, and I think we might have mentioned this last port, uh, last podcast, there's two types of affordability. One is what you know you can afford. And like the you you the know yeah. what you can afford. Mm. And the second is what the bank is telling you mm-hmm. that you can afford. And sometimes they're wildly yep. different, especially for those self-employed people mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, depending on how you derive your income. But it's always important that you look after those two bookends of cash flow mm. and capital equity whichever way you want to yep. slant it up but it's also you mentioned the shortfall and affordability for me comes down to the eye of the beholder mm-hmm. so to speak so 
there might be advisors out there that say, well, three and a half percent or four percent is a is a cash flow deal mm-hmm. as a gross yield, and there'd be others that say that that's that's ridiculous. That's yep. a yeah, you know, that's a hugely negative property. I'm, you know, six, seven, eight percent net is a cash flow deal, mm-hmm. and both camps are. They're right. They're right. It, it really depends on the area. So an example of that would be if in Victoria, Melbourne precincts as such, and I'm being quite general here, but if you got a 4% yield down there, you'd, you'd be turning cartwheels. You'd group hug and high five yeah. and you'd think that was awesome. Mm. But So that's a, that would be a cash flow deal, high mm-hmm. cash deal mm-hmm. opportunity. Whereas in a lot of sectors of the Brisbane market, that would be normality. Yeah. Or even a little low mm-hmm. in some cases in terms of its ga- cash flow proponent. And the Sydney Basin is somewhere in between. In between, whereas say the Perth market, that's a wildly different mm. market because today you could scout around and get your four four and a half percent yields, but if the prices keep accelerating the way that they are and rents don't keep up, well then suddenly we're back to where it was three years ago at two percent. Correct. Yeah, and so it's. It's also so therefore it's dictated by the site the, the time and the cycle of the market, mm-hmm. but also each state and how what they determine amongst their themselves and their narrative on what is mm. cash flow. But somewhere in the middle is that sweet spot. Yeah. And and uh, what what we are not saying for a second is that you need to focus on just the one side. We need to focus on both sides of the equation because they're just as important. Even if you are earning a strong income. Um, what you need to do is set up the portfolio so that at the time that you need to amplify the cash flow, you can actually do that. So a good example of it is is when we set up portfolios is we um, uh, you know, planned quite quite deliberately to um, get a few, one or two granny flat sites or multiple dwelling sites into the portfolio for that eventuality that, okay, at some point in time, I want to turn my portfolio around into neutral or positive. Um, and and um, that would be a really easy way. So you're holding a capital growth portfolio, but it's got the ability to turn it totally around, especially when rates start going up as well. Or even down. Because mm. as you were saying that, I was just thinking about some of the portfolios were created around different parts of, say, that Sydney Basin area from yesteryear. Yes. Where we may have controlled the opportunity that had the chance of multiple streams of income. Mm. So a secondary dwelling to create that next rental income strain. But we didn't execute that opportunity straight away. Yep. Like so we controlled the property, but we didn't mm. create the, the additional revenue straight away until the time was right and all those numbers added up. So mm-hmm. whether that be construction cost, whether it be uh, vacancy rates at the point of time and the cost of money, mm. so i.e. now. Yeah, and the convenience factor as well. And the convenience factor mm. because you have to ask yourself the question, should I chip in here to build or should I actually control another asset yep. in a different area for diversification? Mm-hmm. So when we say that you actually need both, so you need cash flow and you need growth, we say that because we mean it. It's a necessity to mm-hmm. have both and we call that balancing the portfolio or even in some cases pigeon pairing mm-hmm. as we've talked about before. And what we mean by that is there might be a property, we might need a capital injection to the portfolio. Mm-hmm. So we've taken care of our cash flow positions with prior purchases, Mm. but now our capital needs to be accentuated. So we might be looking for something that has uh, the potential of a higher rate of growth, Mm. a a lesser cash flow, or it might be something that we can add value to. So manufacture value as well as organic growth. Mm -hmm. And that's a very important point. Um, So that it increases our capital position to be able to recycle 
to go again because once again we've taken care of the cash flow by having the money before we need it yep now that doesn't necessarily mean that's the right way to be every time it might be a different direction depending on your unique circumstances mm-hmm. where we'll get some growth because our capital position is pretty good so we'll chase those types of properties first knowing too well that we're going to arrest the cash flow position within a given period of time yep and that's very important because it's not a well we'll wait and see scenario mm-hmm. we have to plan it out and there mm. are some variances such as the availability of credit interest rates covid mm. and the like that is out of everybody's control but if we control the opportunity for the future then we can execute when necessary yep i think the most important word here is controlling the uh, opportunity right because that that that's what we need to do and um part of um uh, a good portfolio and part of a good portfolio process is to have regular reviews to see where the position of the portfolio is how does that match up to what's happening in career life economy um all of those things to say okay do i add to this portfolio do i change tech now because i've got uh, you know a bunch of good cash flow properties i'm not saying positive cash flow i'm saying good cash flow properties and because i'm still within my affordability range and i can still qualify for finance do i now go for a large capital play do they now offset this slower growing properties with a fast growing property so you've got the best of both worlds now well when you're when you're investing for lifelong goals yes the planning process never stops it does not it's continually ad- adjusting and this is as a side note and maybe a soapbox scenario is around those longer term goals mm. and they can't be set in stone can they no and therefore yeah. nor can the strategy yes or the plan mm-hmm. because there's too many variances that you haven't even encountered or even thought of yet So the portfolio no matter what the asset class is shares pencils bananas property whatever it may be mm-hmm. needs to be created on a foundation of growth cash flows we're talking about but also flexibility. Yep. Otherwise you paint yourself into a corner mm. and Murphy's law will kick in is when you paint yourself into that corner will be the worst time because the whole whole economy yeah is experiencing that same moment mm-hmm. in time and yet now you've got no flexibility. Yeah. Great example of that would be um I think we've used the example for way back in the JFC days. Mm-hmm. And we often talk about those that controlled their cash flow controlled the asset. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about cash flow property cash flow positive properties their cash flow mm-hmm. in unique circumstances. So those that controlled their cash flow position are now reaping the rewards of 300% yep. asset growth. Mm-hmm. in terms of its value position nobody lost their property from a from a lack of equity at that mm-hmm. point in time it was from a lack of cash, cash flow, flow management now fast forward to the this sea change mm-hmm. did you see someone yeah, did someone did, see, yeah, no. they did. <laughs> <laughs> finally it's um i've been trying to for anyone that's new to the podcast ever since covid started or, or very early on the pieces i've been talking about the sea change see for covid change not the tree sea change and trying to get it up Finally. off the ground <laughs> and i noticed i don't know who it was i think it was somewhere in domain or yeah. realestate.com someone called it the sea change i mm-hmm. said yes i'll take that anyway small wins um but if we fast forward to the g uh, to the covid scenario and in those initial stages where there was fear and pandemonium not and for good reason around health death mm. you know plague and everything like that but how it's going to affect asset classes yeah there was a moment in time where those that did did mm-hmm. and those that didn't are now saying i wish i could have would have shoulda yeah yeah 
and it's that's a that's a historical approach. It's happened every single every time. single crisis. Mm. And as a another side point, there's always some sort of a crisis. Yeah, yeah, always. If you look back at 2019, there was a crisis there, which yeah. was the lending crisis. Yeah, correct. And then there was elections prior to that or yeah. after that. Yeah. So yeah. look, most most people uh, when they're investing or they they look at uh, investors that have been very successful, they say, "Oh, you've been lucky. You started so early." or you, you bought at a time when the prices were low. You fast forward today, 20 years down the track. You look back now to, to the prices now, you'll say, geez, those prices were very cheap, right? If the trajectory remains true, uh, which it generally does. Um, so the true investor invests during the good times and also invests during the bad times. What changes is their focus on the type of property that they're buying um, and and where they're buying and what they're doing with the portfolio at that point in time. That's the change that needs to happen so that uh, you can make the best of the market as it is. Which means that we're not, our, even our strategies aren't set in stone. Mm-hmm. They're created with a degree of flexibility yep. for moments like this where we can, as an example, the banks are willing to give us more money. Mm-hmm. And I'm, they're not me, but I'm just, throwing it out there so they're willing is, to is that is that a cry for help steve no 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 it's um but any of the big four if you're listening it, uh, but if but if there's a moment in time where credit has become a little easier to get mm. and we have the scenario that we have today with cheap money potentially better credit a perpetuating market rising rents rising rents which means undersupplied etc 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 well, then our flexibility with the flexibility within our strategy should enable us to be able to exploit some of the opportunities that we find today, which might mm-hmm. be more about growth. Yep, yep. And in, in, in the last podcast, we, we talked about how um, your negotiation and your approach towards buying property changes in markets like this, where it's, it's not necessarily anymore about how much you can smash down the listed price because most properties are going above the listed price at the moment, right? So it's, it's about it's controlling controlling the opportunity and making sure that your offer is has got less terms and terms that are more acceptable to the vendor as opposed to the uh, other punters out there. So it's, it's all about knowing how to change your offer proposition to control the opportunity. It's a good point. It's about how you change your negotiation mm-hmm. strategy to control the opportunity yes. because what works today is clearly different from how we approach negotiating mm-hmm. back in, I don't know. Even even two years ago. March yeah. or even two years ago. Yeah. And, so, and, so, yeah, and so that's why some of these books about the art of negotiating and, mm-hmm. and everything like that's a little, a bit in your face because it's an evolving process yes. as well and especially because of technology and the like. So when we're talking, when, if we come back to the, the balance between growth and, and cash flow, and what, well, what would be the number one proponent that you'd be looking for in terms of cash flow? Consistency of rent. Consistency of rent, right? Because it's all good to buy a property that's, that's promising all the rent, but if you haven't got the consistent tenants or you have um, you know, strong turnover of tenants, then your cash flow on paper it does, not, does not translate to cash flow in real life. Yeah, 100%. So you pass. Lucky Gee, that. I know, right? <laughs> Question without notice. So. <laughs> I know, I saw your eyes. It was like, what are, you, what are you throwing me here? What are you throwing me here? But that's the truth. It is, it's about the consistency of cash flow. 
So when we're talking about this balance between cash flow and growth, cash flow also, and probably more importantly, involves your cash flow. Mm-hmm. So cash flow control around your yep. household budget and your How much is left circumstances. Over? Yeah. Which part of that is the consistency mm. of cash flow, whether that be from the asset, because we decided not to be greedy on our asking rent and mm-hmm. kept it at market and it was consistent without the changeover of tenants or yep. excessive repairs and maintenance because you have been greedy on the rent mm-hmm. uh, or it might be the consistency in your job. Yeah, income. Income, your yeah. own personal income. Or it might be expenses. Mm-hmm. So the thing about cash flow is everybody always thinks about income, income, income. Yeah. Where there's an equal portion of expenses that is probably just as important. Yeah, you've got to see how leaky your bucket is, right? You need to make sure that you start plugging the leaks that are not, you know, the holes that are not res- necessary in the, in the bucket. There still would be some money that will go out because you've got to live life. Right? It, it, it's not, if by investing you've got absolutely no life, no social life, I think that's the wrong approach. You're going too far in. So you need to perhaps relook at it and, and say, okay, do I rationalize my portfolio so that I can uh, you know, live life without resenting my investments? It's a good point because a lot of people do. Yeah. A lot of people at that point in time, in their beginning stages, people are, are, are willing to sacrifice. sacrifice. Then, then they get to the stage of resentment. Mm-hmm. And if they push through that and they haven't gone too far, then at the end of the journey, it's like, yeah, well, I did the right thing. Yeah. And I'm glad I did it that way. But don't go too far. Mm. Yeah, still go out and enjoy life and you know, buy a Bentley. Or <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You got it again. I got it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's my New Year's resolution. It wasn't like around the portfolio. It was how many times can I mention the car? <laughs> um, people probably going, does, does he have one? Who has one? It's a toy one. Is it real? Yeah. <laughs> No, it is real. Hardly it's, used. It's real. <laughs> going, going, going really cheap if you want to buy it. <laughs> really? No. <laughs> I wouldn't buy it, but I know someone who does. Yeah. <laughs> Bentley drivers, you're all the same. Um, so once again, it's about cash flow management, mm-hmm. not so much cash flow from yeah. the asset. Um, and that consistency point also, they have a flow on effect. Cash mm-hmm. flow management has a flow on effect, not just necessarily to that moment in time, but as far reaching as serviceability mm-hmm. yeah, and borrowing. Mm. And then the ability to be able to add to the portfolio, whichever the asset class needs to plug and play. So then if we talk about growth, I'm going to go the same question. What's the biggest proponent for growth for you? For growth, it's the go- not um, relying on consistent growth to say that it has to go up by this much each year, right? So your your projections is what you're trying to get away from because understanding that the growth is uh, pretty much cyclical in nature, right? So if you look at uh, Sydney and Melbourne, traditionally, uh, trough to peak is three to five years, right? However, when I bought my first investment, Sydney had not moved. This is back in 1999. Um, Sydney had not moved for 12 years. So it had flat growth for 12 years. And then, of course, because I bought it, caught up. Yeah, um, But that that's what we need to look at is is staying away from your... Um, if I can bring Port Hadland into this, right? So one of a lot of people got hurt there by speculating on the growth there because the growth was because of the lack of supply, but it was all tiered to what the mining was doing. So you need to go back to underlying... Um, uh, uh, pushes of growth to make sure that 
the capital growth that you're getting is in line with consistency in that area it's not not out of out of character because if it's out of character you need to look at what's what's the catalyst that's made this mm. so that way you're not speculating in that area and then w- when you look at it from a capital point of view one of the key mistakes most people make is saying that i want to control 5 million dollars worth of property because you know they'll it'll um, give me 5% yield and therefore i'm set for life that sort of thing doesn't quite work that way it's a good point because i think ev- the the metrics have changed over time mm. as well. So if you go back 20 years ago or 30 years ago, if that was even before my time 30 years ago, that the way that you the filter that you put on residential real estate or commercial real estate or even shares mm. or other asset classes for that matter is far different today yeah. than it was back then purely by technology mm. and that instant access as we've talked about before to information education results driven the uh, the ability to be able to measure performance today mm. is far easier than what it was back then a simple example is you know the corelogic um uh, what do they call it uh, um not value tracker but the way that they're me- measuring the the micro movements within the market mm-hmm. and that you can track it almost like a share but not as you know, delicate if you will mm-hmm. as that versus even 20 years ago where it was a little bit rudimentary in terms of the data science yeah and it was more about flicking the paper mm. I remember hanging out for the um, uh, property magazines to come out each month because you'd look at the back of the magazine to see how much your suburb went up by and that was even even out of date yeah. before it it, it it got to you because mm-hmm. it was 5 6 months old in yep. some cases but it was it was walking the streets and physically monitoring each individual suburb and house and street to see what's sold mm. so that you could get an idea of what the value yeah is so typically what investors did is it was out of sight out of mind mm-hmm. and they concentrated on the pay down which yeah. is fine mm-hmm. and the cash flow because that was weekly as opposed to the to the value now things have changed because of our ability with technology to be able to measure implement mm-hmm. refine and a lot of free valuation tools and inverted commas on the net that you can say how much my property is worth as well that that plays with people's minds oh uh, with, without a doubt every week i would have an instance where it says this but it's that mm. yeah you know, whether it's up or down so technology and you also mentioned about the the peaks and troughs or the cyclical effect of the markets i would say that the the distance between the peak and the trough now is far Short, shorter yes. than what it used to be once again because of education information mm. realistically all because of technology yeah everything's become faster because of technology it's a far pa- faster paced world yes everything mm-hmm. is and it will continue to be so and i i'd probably say into the future i'd i'd almost see that there's a a trading platform as such but it won't be we'll call it a, a data measuring platform that will actually intrinsically start to measure our asset class in a much shorter period of time mm-hmm. than it is even today yeah and there'll be Well, there already is traded futures and, and things like that on it, but it will become more the norm, mm. and it'll be almost like a fractional investing platform that we don't even know exists today. Yeah. But some data boffin in the background is thinking about it <laughs> already. So the growth is our wealth. That's our long term. That's, That's the long term effect. And there'll be moments in time where we will be, we'll sacrifice, yeah. fairness if you will um 
to see what those growth components are and to get a bigger piece of the pie. That's mm-hmm. just human human nature or speculation or increasing your risk profile for that given point of time. Because to be fair, a younger person has a lot more time in their sleeve yeah. to take care of the mistakes. Like I think about the way that I approached investing 21 years ago is different than how vastly different today yeah because there's several factors that play in right one one is age when you you're getting very close to retirement now steve um the the other you get free transport now don't you (laughs) rsl (laughs) 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 the um the other factor of course is that now you're controlling a lot more assets right so uh, what you add into your portfolio and what you do to your portfolio it needs to be very very thought out uh, along with the fact that as your portfolio increases, the finance starts to become a little bit more difficult. It, it becomes a lot more involved. So the, the bank takes longer to get you finance. Um, yes, so, it does. <laughs> so when, when you look at those sort of things, yes, it ta- you know, a, as you progress in investments, uh, your approach, how quickly you make decisions do change, uh, faster and slower. Uh, but you also need to be reminded of... Um, uh, if we're going back to the capital growth position, just like rents going up, down, and sideways, so does the capital growth. You're not going to get consistent growth every year. It's not a lineal approach no. to anything, to whether it be uh, cash flow return and growth mm-hmm. or whether it be the equity positions growth. We yep. might have runs of time which are longer than others in terms of that growth cycle, mm. but conversely, we also might have times of zero growth. Yeah. We might even give a bit back and then have sideways growth for mm. some period of time, which usually follows after a, a vertical moment in time of growth. Yeah. So when you have amplified growth well and truly above reasonable historical average moments or growth patterns, mm. there has to be an element of change in the market to get it back to somewhere near mm. those historical ev- um, patterns of growth. There will be exceptions to the rule, no doubt. Um, but generally speaking, you can't have vertical markets. You can't have double-digit growth year on, year, Not sustainable. year out, forever yeah. until you reach that point of, which we're already starting to see it now, and we told you so, is around the, the, the narrative around affordability. Mm-hmm. It was only five months ago, and I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, it was only five months ago or thereabouts that the, the, the media – and the institutions were talking about this is the most af- af- one of the most affordable moments in time mm. um, in a long time, and now the some of the media outlets are starting to talk about this affordability issue that's starting to creep in yep, yep. to some of the markets. That's true, and and if you look at like so one one of the questions we get asked is you know when when was the best time to start and and um, especially if you're starting from scratch, right? And I dare say, and I'm and I'm putting my my um, sticking my neck right out over here. I dare say that now's probably one of the times to get started. Uh, when you look at it from a from a point of view of, there's going to be fairly strong growth in most areas. Rents are creeping up. Finance is easy, uh, and and so the only thing that's now missing is finding the properties. Yeah, that, well, yeah so <laughs> who'd have thought that would have yeah, been I know, a, right? would have been an issue. <laughs> it's um. So we'll replay this podcast mm-hmm. in ten years' time. In ten years' time, so we. Oh, that's a pretty. That's a pretty safe. <laughs> that's a safe. That's bet. a safe bet. <laughs> it's, um, no, in fact, in, in two years' time, let's let's come back and check in in two years' time to see how things track. Well, I think we've already done that. We mm. did that 
what this time last year? Yes, we did, or even March yeah. or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. We said we think it is going to be one of the Best sweetest times, yeah. times in reasonable history, mm. and it has been. Yeah, and it will continue to be so. It has actually, and I was speaking to a client the other day about this. It has the same vibe as back in two thousand and one, two, three. Three, yeah, yeah very same vibe. Yeah. Now, I don't know if the if the con- the results of the market will be the same because back then, which was almost doubled. Well, I did have some yeah. properties that doubled in twelve months, mm-hmm. and I do not think that's going to happen. Mm. But in fact, I know it's not going to happen. So let me make that really, really clear. But the vibe, yeah within the market very similar is very 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 similar similar. and back then there wasn't the platforms or the um the the ease to perpetuate yeah that feeling yeah do you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. today it's it's in every it's amplified it's amplified today because of technology once again back then it was word of mouth in fact when and i've often we recall said, the days of, of um, you know, meeting up in pubs, secret secret societies. It was sort like of a thing. secret society yeah. like nobody talked about. Mm-hmm. It was like, you're an investor, really? Mm. It was all sort of Because it was unusual, right? And, it, was, and, um, it was not the norm. Yeah. And uh, to find properties, you waited for the Sydney Morning Herald on Saturday uh, because that had a property section uh, and also uh, your local reg, which had a real estate section. And they were the only, only places apart from the uh, real estate windows. Ah, the good old days. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and when you walk into the real estate agent, they say, "Okay, what else have you got?" And out would come the levage files with them flicking through. I've had this for four months now; it yeah, hasn't yeah. moved. And it, it would have been uh, in the slips in the yes, like those little the sleeves, yeah, yeah, yeah. the envelopes or whatever mm-hmm. it was, and you'd you'd sit there flicking through them. Yep. And I really enjoyed that mm. back then. It Is was it did build rapport? It was easy to build rapport with the agents, and and um, you found the motivation. Well, it was also, and I found it was not so much an easier time. It was more truthful. Mm-hmm. They it, couldn't they couldn't bamboozle you with with data. Correct. Yeah. And so you knew every street, every house on every street, every house on every street, and every mm-hmm. suburb that you were yep. in that sold. It was mm. it, it was physical ground truth. In fact, for for me, that was. I'm glad I went through that because mm. I carry that through to today, and so does our whole entire teams. Yes. And that is around ground truth. Yeah. So that way we can we can interpret the data with the ground truth and and make a um, you know a, a formative decision as to whether it is something that's going to be trending or is it just a flash in the pan. That's a good point too because there are certain markets that are trending mm. markets and that sounds like a really obvious point but it's it's not there are there are trends that are that have sustainability and a long term and they're transient and, ones and then there are transient trends and. If we bring that around the whole growth cash flow scenario, if you talk about, um, I don't know, maybe the, the central coast of uh, the Sydney Basin mm. and the south coast of Sydney Basin, that's a trend, but it's a sustainable trend. Mm. Because the underlying trend was there. Correct. It was there before COVID started. Mm-hmm. And then there are trends where, in my opinion, will be short-lived. I don't know what that time frame is. Yeah. It could be one year, it could be five years, but mm. I see there being problems in the future. And these are some of those subpar regional areas which are purely lifestyle driven without any fundamentals behind it, yep. any economy drivers, jobs growth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, and so there might be some people getting stuck there. And that's actually a pretty good example of when you're chasing cash flow for all the wrong reasons. Yes. So you're, it's, a, it's a good cash flow. Well, it's a potential on the surface good cash flow hit now, 
And there might even be a little bit of growth because the trend is pushing it that way. But are you going to be in an illiquid market mm. in years to come? Yeah. You've got to look at it medium to long term, right? You can't invest for the now. Unless you're a transient investor. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. And if you go back to our last podcast, we went through the various types of investors um, that you had coined, uh, which was… I um, have. Did you yeah. like them? Yeah. I've I actually… Like and I did write them down. Uh, do you want to say them again? I'll say go, I'll go tell them it. again. Go for All it. All right. So there's the value investor, mm -hmm. which is what I believe we are. Yes. It's always value. At the root of everything mm -hmm. is value. There's a contrarian investor. Yeah. Then there's the growth investor. Mm -hmm. um, then there's the growth stock investor. So that's almost like momentum investing, which mm -hmm. is the next one. And at the moment, there's probably all of those types of investors in the market. And at one point or another, we probably all have a little bit of that mm. in us as well. But that very much shapes the market because, and I'm going to come back to technology again, is everybody today is far more entrepreneurial than what they were back in 2000. Correct. Right? In mass. Mm thanks to technology, the way that we can educate ourselves, the way that we can um, learn and transact. Mm. And, and also the availability of finance, right? So if I go to the yesteryears, um, if, to, to begin with, um, if you needed money, you went to the bank manager mm. and they had to know you and, and give you a ticket for, yeah, I know your parents, you got from a good family, we'll give you the money. Uh, if, if you are a female, good luck. Right, because mm. they didn't lend to females uh, unless there was a male uh, involved in that in that transaction. So that's now changed to money's as easy as clicking a button these days, provided you you tick all the boxes. As long as you tick all the boxes, mm. double income, no debt, no yep. kids, essentially. Mm. Um, so go on, go on, go on other bank manager days. It is now managing your credit history and managing. Um, to find the right lender to begin with. And that's actually an important point because managing your credit history mm. ties in with cash flow management. Correct. Right? Now, cash flow management, and we're coming back to the subject here after we deviated a of little, a as, little usual. Bit, yeah. as usual. Part of cash flow management is credit management. Mm -hmm. And part of cash flow management is in your own circumstances being liquid. So mm -hmm. not not finding the liquid market, which is on the growth side of the ledger. It's about you being liquid mm -hmm. all the times. And that might be something as easy as, said than done, um, it could be easy <laughs> as uh, releasing equity. Before you need it. Before you need it. Yeah, yeah because lending could it. change tomorrow. Lending criteria could change tomorrow. The Correct. market may perpetuate it so high, APRA steps back in and says, you know what, back to 2019 blokes, uh, and so we, we then can't borrow again and you've got all this massive equity that's sitting there that you can't access to take advantage of opportunities that'll come at that point in time. So that's why we always say keep your equity liquid. And that's part of personal cash mm -hmm. flow management yep. at the end of the day. So I want to also go now back again to the whole point about people are far more entrepreneurial because that is going to drive growth mm -hmm. today. And it's because of technology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is that as long as there is an internet connection, you could be in the jungles of Panama yep. selling widgets before you've for, even... For a moment, them. I thought you were talking about farming in Panama, you know, in the jungles of Panama. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, but, but that's it. Like mm -hmm. you could be drop shipping or whatever they call it and yep. you know, turning a dollar that way from you know, maybe a potentially very lowly educated community mm -hmm. 
it's now getting a piece of that mindset has enabled everybody yeah. to be able to forward themselves. And how I relate that back to our asset class being real estate is now people know what is possible. Mm. They've got all that data, they've got all that history, they've got all that education at their fingertips to hopefully then make informed decisions going forward and know what is possible. Mm -hmm. Then overlay that with credit yep. and the ability to be able to get it in today's cheaper ecosystem, mm -hmm. if you will, is amplifying that position mm. but by the tens of thousands yep. of people, which will then equal tens of thousands of transactions and that means growth. Mm. It can be that simple. Yeah, and and while you while you're saying that, you mentioned information and and how information was hard to get in the yester years, right? And and technologies change things. Here's how 180 it's become, right? Back when we were investing, uh, you know, in late 90s uh, is when when we started uh, early 2000s. Um, the rhetoric was, um, I don't know what to do. Where can I get the information? Mm. Right now it is. I've got too much information, I don't know yeah, what to do. Yeah, where do I start? Where's the good information? Yep. How do I decipher mm. that? And that can very quickly morph into an analysis paralysis, yep. which I see more and more people becoming a victim to. Mm. But equally, I see people becoming a victim to FOMO. Yes. In the market as well. And so as long as you've got the right education, the right information to make those informed decisions, well, then you should be off to a, to a good start. And think of it, as the long-term mm -hmm. asset class that it is. And the reason I say that is because many, you're going to start to see many, many success stories. Yeah, absolutely will. Yeah, I think and they're already seem, popping up. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and it seems like they just started yesterday and they've, they're already a quadrillionaire. Mm. But that's not the norm. Yeah. They might have had a bit of luck, good on them. Mm. You know, they, they put it out there and they succeeded. But equally, there'll be just as many sort of car wrecks mm -hmm. in the future. And then you'll start to see the the media programs start to focus on that. So as long as you stick, and uh, you know, the fundamentals as we all talk about, but for good reason, as long as you play within your lanes, and sometimes, sometimes those lanes are a little larger than others, mm. and that you make informed executive decisions, you'll be okay for the long yep. run. Yeah, yeah. So look, investing is like, you know, I, I, I bring an analogy, it's like the African bamboo. Right, so the African bamboo, when you when you plant it, you gotta water it pretty much every day. For five years, it does not even sprout out of the ground. Then overnight, it springs to seven meters. Right, in the fifth year, it springs to seven meters. You can Google it. And this is what investing is. A lot of people look at the overnight thing and say, bang, you know, yes, it, it, it grew by this much, but they, they forget the five years of nurturing that had to happen to get to that growth spurt. And a lot of times, this is what property is. We we become too impatient to see that result in the end or the big growth because you're already seeing someone else's growth. So you, what you're not taking into account is their five years of watering and you haven't done your five years of watering uh, in that sense, right? So um, equally importantly, with that, taking long term into account, this is where you also don't speculate and say, you know, if it's not the not not the right property to buy right now, it'll be okay. It's long term. It'll be okay in the end. Good yeah. point. So, yep. so we're running out of time, but there's one more really important facet in terms of that sweet spot between growth and cash flow, mm -hmm. 
and that's portfolio management. Yes. Now, and I don't mean the property manager. They're just mm-hmm. a piece of the puzzle. I'm talking about your own portfolio mm. management, continually assessing the income, the expenditure, the growth position, how to add growth or equity. The fine-tuning. To it, yeah, fine-tuning, mm. if you will. And even more so now, it's just as important as when we have a subtle market, as we call it, where there's just normal growth or maybe even a little less because of the circumstances beforehand. Now's the time to be able to capitalise on that position. So whether that mean adjusting your unique scenario around your cash flow, being your assets or your personal income to enable you to be able to borrow, therefore mm-hmm. to become liquid, do it. Yep. If it means that you could do a renovation to amplify its cash flow or its growth position, do it. We want to be in a position that at this moment in time where we've got all the cards in our hand that we don't squander them. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Yeah. So what do we do for the portfolio management? So pretty much, it, it, first of all, we address the goal. Right? What are we aiming for? Is this portfolio relevant? And what do I need to do in terms of its management? Do I bring forward a construction because um, we can predict that in year, two years' time, we're going to come to a cash flow cliff? Uh, so it could be something as simple as um, if we look at the 2019 scenario, a lot of our clients, we prep for that for that because we could see that they won't be able to turn it back to interest only, right? So a lot of um, um, the clients we reviewed, we said, bring forward that granny flat construction, construction create that extra income. Um, get rid of your leases. Have the cash before you yep. need it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, push up your rents. It's amazing how people don't push up their rents in time. And when you're too far back off the market, it's very hard to increase that all at once, right? So you you are impacting cash flow, you're impacting your serviceability as well, in able to qualify for loans. And um, to get back to market, you may have to get rid of the tenant and get a new one, which would require a capital injection because you need to then um, get-, get Give it the, a paint yeah, and carpet that's it. and suddenly you got two years worth of increased income. Correct. Already spent. Yep. But in a review situation, we're already flagging this to say, okay, this is this is the consequence of doing this now. Um, your rents aren't up to date. Insurances, um, looking at making sure that the properties are insured. Um, interest uh, rates. Yeah, interest rates. Interest rates are a big one. Interest oh, rates are a big one. There right? wouldn't be a week go past where, I, where I'm not sitting with a client doing that review where someone is not paying massive mm-hmm. overs. Yeah. And what's massive overs today was market normality mm-hmm. five six months ago yeah yeah there's a much more aggressive lender out there and if it means that you should be moving lenders to capitalize on that income mm. position or that extra income position via See, decreased people, expenses people don't do like it. change right well That's i don't the think thing. they like the work that too because it's a mm. hell of a lot of work paperwork to to yeah. change lenders and that's why you know for mine brokers are worth mm-hmm. their weight in gold because i couldn't do that job mm. the the detail that's required um is just next level so taking advantage of situations while you can yep. is imperative because you don't get these opportunities very often no like it, it's this been, is a very unique time this has been literally i'm going to call it 18 years in the making mm-hmm. if i go back to my my commentary around this has got the same vibe of 2001 yep. two, three. Mm. this has been 18 years in the making since it's been, well, I believe, this good. For mm. all the moons. To line up. To, to align. But 
that's part of portfolio management. And, and it absolutely bewilders me how people can classify property as a set and forget asset. It's not. It's the furthest thing from mm-hmm. it. And if you're, only, if you're only visiting your portfolio once every couple of years in like with a really focused filter, you'd be an idiot. Here's an easy one. How often do you service your car? Maybe you just line your portfolio servicing to your car servicing. And do you self-service the car? Oh, yeah. Well, I, actually, I do. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, So investment portfolio management is like a, it's a blend of art mm-hmm. and science, yep. in, in my opinion. It's not something that you can just brush over and think that you're getting the best out of your asset class. Mm-hmm. It's a blend of art and science and that art and science will be dependent upon the strategy that you deploy initially and how that pivots along the way to suit your personal circumstances at that point in time mm-hmm. because as we mentioned earlier your risk profile your risk appetite is far different when you're 22 or 25 than when you're 55 and so it should mm-hmm. be absolutely you're running out of time Literally, in this podcast as well. I, <laughs> <laughs> I thought... <laughs> I thought that was a good segue. <laughs> I thought, like, we, we don't edit, Vic, and you're, and you're telling me to be quick at the end of the, the podcast. Like, literally, we do not edit. It's, yeah, that's true. It's, that's true. Um, yeah. I, but you meant my age. That's it. Yeah, that too. <laughs> See, now you got it, it, it was a double-edged sword. Right. right. So. Just saying you're older. Uh, only like, just. Like, well, if you call 10 years, just... <laughs> All right, I'll take your hint. We're done. So that is the fine art of balancing cash flow and growth. And if you're struggling with that and not knowing what it means to you individually, as always, feel free to reach out. Yep. And also, um, if you haven't liked or followed our Facebook page, uh, go and um, like the page because um, every fortnight we do a Facebook Live where we cover different topics. Uh, and uh, if you like or follow the page, you'll be notified when we go live. And if there's also subjects that you want us to cover in these in these podcasts, um, feel free to give us an email. Questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au. I was looking at Vic then saying, what's the email address? It's uh, questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au because yeah, for us, this is everyday topic mm. for us. We talk about it almost 24-7. And so sometimes we would like a little direction on what you want to know about rather than what we want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So once again, thanks for listening. Please give it a rating, thumbs up, thumbs down, be truthful. And we will be back in a fortnight, uh, this time with Phil Tarrant uh, from Smart Property Investment Magazine. And there'll also be a podcast following that where we do a portfolio review, uh, Phil and I on the portfolio that we created for him many, mm-hmm. many years many ago. Years oh, ago. 10 years ago. Oh, there it is. So that'll be some interesting listening as well. So up until then, we'll see you next time. See you then. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.